0: Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons. I'm a health journalist who spends her life asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're asking whether Strep A is the new Covid and what should the government be doing to tackle it? As always, we'd love to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion or a comment or anything, really, you could tweet us at MedMinefield. Now, at the time of recording, nine children have so far died from the strep A infection. There's been a recent outbreak over the last couple of weeks and stories that are incredibly tragic of of children dying have hit the headlines. Strep A is a bacterial infection that can go on to cause more serious problems like scarlet fever. And in some cases, it can be deadly if it becomes invasive throughout the body. However, in most cases, it's incredibly mild and can be treated very easily with antibiotics like penicillin or amoxicillin. The reason for this unexpected peak right now, it's not quite understood, but scientists seem to be suggesting that it's something to do with the fact that children haven't been exposed to as many bugs as they would have been in the years gone by because of COVID and because everybody had been locked in. And now all of a sudden they're exposed to lots of social groups and these infections are kind of flying around everywhere. Now, in the past few days, there seems to have been some sort of debate that's erupting on Twitter over what the government should be actually doing about this situation. To be quite frank, the whole situation seems like a bit of a mess at the moment. The government have suggested that perhaps all primary school children in areas where there's an outbreak should be given preventative antibiotics, which, as we know, could be problematic because there's a big drive to stop giving out antibiotics unnecessarily because there's a problem with resistance, which means that these pills won't work when they are needed. And other virologists have even hinted at bringing back some of the COVID-type social distancing measures in schools. But given that we're just about recovering from the wrath of our previous large infection, and there's obviously the concerns about fueling antibiotic resistance, it's interesting to consider what exactly the NHS and the government should be doing about this problem to stop it becoming worse. Now, one doctor who has been very vocal on this issue is our GP columnist for the Mail on Sunday, Dr Ellie Cannon. And she's joining me now to discuss a little bit about where she believes the government is going wrong. Ellie, thanks for finding some time to talk to us today. Now, strep A is usually mild. And as I understand, it can be solved quite easily with antibiotics. So why are we seeing such an extreme outbreak of serious illness?
1: Well, there's a couple of different ideas. Obviously, we're coming out of a pandemic. And the important sort of aspect of that is that we didn't have a normal circulation of illness in the last two years. Because of certain measures, so social distancing, and then after that, sort of some reduction in social contact, as well as masks. So there weren't the sort of 2020 and 2021 strep A figures that we should have had, which would have led to some immunity amongst children and the population. So we're sort of having all of that now, all in one go, alongside other respiratory illnesses, respiratory viruses. And the reason that's important is because strep A is often a secondary infection. So you've got something else and then you get strep A on top of that. Would that be like a flu or a cold? or? Yeah. So for kids, it would tend to be just a sort of normal cough, cold type sort of viral illness. But it can be, as I say, a sort of secondary skin infection, secondary infection of the throat when you've already got some sort of viral throat infection.
0: And you've been quite critical of the government response to this outbreak. What is it that you think that they're doing wrong? Because surely, you know, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you don't want to incite panic. Mm. But then at the same time, you know, you have to, as we've seen from what happened with the pandemic, we Mm. have to act quickly.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, we've certainly, in my own practice, we've had cases of scarlet fever since at least the third or fourth week of November.
0: And can you just explain what scarlet fever is and how it's related to Strep A?
1: So scarlet fever is caused by Strep A. So it's caused by that bacteria and it's a bad throat infection alongside a rash and a fever. And it's very well treated now with penicillin. It's very infectious. And so that's why it sort of allows Strep to go around schools. Most children will recover from that with penicillin. But unfortunately, sometimes it can go on to cause this invasive group A strep. So yeah, so what I was saying about the sort of criticizing the government issue is that we've certainly had these signals in terms of public health. And remember, we notify public health or AXA when we have cases, so they should be aware. And yet, in times very reminiscent of the pandemic, we are seeing supply issues on the ground of penicillin liquids, amoxicillin liquids, I understand the health minister said yesterday that this isn't the case, but it absolutely is the case. Mm. The health secretary, Steve, Steve Barclay, you're referring to, said said that there isn't a shortage and that, that we do have ample supply of antibiotics. Well, we may have ample supplies, but as we learnt when we were talking about vaccines through the pandemic, there is a difference between having supplies in a distribution centre somewhere and having stocks on the shelves of local pharmacies. Mm.
0: And so, with regards to antibiotics, isn't there a concern, though, if we give them out too much? Obviously, there's a resistance problem.
1: There is, and everything in health and medicine is about weighing up the good and the bad. And, of course, we do have to weigh up antibiotic resistance, but in this situation, we're also trying to contain an outbreak. So, in the same way that we do give out antibiotics when we need them in practice, this is actually one of those issues where we do need to give out antibiotics appropriately it's possibly best to be done on an individual case-by-case basis unless you are talking about a school or a nursery or a family where there is already known group a strep i.e they've already had a swab and it's already been proven
0: and why is it that children are particularly susceptible because i know adults can get it
1: too So it's just that children get particularly ill from it. So adults do get strep throats but tend to be more robust and tend not to develop scarlet fever. And also once you've had scarlet fever, you don't normally have Mm -hmm. it again. Although you can have strep again, you don't normally get scarlet fever again.
0: Hmm, I see, okay. And is this, this isn't a case of, in the tragic cases of these child deaths, is it the strep A has been identified too late, so antibiotics wouldn't have worked anyway, or is it that antibiotics were given but they didn't work?
1: So it's difficult to say, and obviously I don't know the background health of these children or at what point they were treated. Sometimes as we have with sepsis, which this is sepsis, obviously when the body is overwhelmed by infection, it sort of goes too fast for the antibiotics or they are given antibiotics too late or perhaps there are background issues as well that we may not know about. For example, if you have kidney problems or liver problems or anything else, it might it might make a child much, much more susceptible. Mm.
0: And is that why there's this push to give antibiotics as, as soon as possible and perhaps even preventatively in some cases?
1: Yes, I think so. I mean, penicillin is the oldest antibiotic in the world and we're very lucky that it works on strep A and there's certainly no question that it will stop working on strep A. So that's very positive as long as the supply chains are there.
0: What do you think of the government's suggestion that all pupils in certain classrooms or even schools should be given antibiotics preventatively if there's, there's one or two children
1: who have strep A? Well, I think from what we've seen over the last sort of few months, when we had to raise coffee for a month or so as health secretary, and then in the last couple of years, the sort of health secretaries that we had through the pandemic, I think what we've learned is that it's best to listen to the chief medical officer and to the scientific experts rather than the health secretaries making political decisions. So I think we need to be guided by the heads of AXA, who I have to say have been quite quiet, but that's who we need to be hearing from, the health protection agencies. So AXA is UKHSA, which is the rebranded form of Public Health England run by Jenny Harries.
0: Brilliant. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for joining us. As a pleasure as always. Well, it's interesting that there's clearly some disagreements going on between what the Health Secretary thinks is the state of affairs in terms of antibiotics and the availability of them and what's going on on the ground, which is concerning, to say the least. Well, on the line now is someone who is an expert in this field and will be able to give some idea of what ministers should do for the best. Adam Finn, Professor of Paediatrics at the University of Bristol and a virus expert. Professor Finn, thank you so much for joining us. Now, doctors have been quite critical, especially on Twitter, of the government's response to this Strep A outbreak. Some have accused ministers of flapping and because they've been suggesting things that are quite extreme, like preventative antibiotics for entire classrooms, etc. What do you think, medically, is the best thing to do about this?
2: Well, it's a long standing practice to give prophylactic antibiotics the close contact of severe cases of bacterial infection, whether it's group A strep or meningococcus or other bacteria that can make people very sick. So there's nothing new about this, but the one key thing is that it needs to be managed on an outbreak by outbreak and case by case basis. What you don't want is a sort of blanket approach because then you can either end up not doing things that need to be done or doing things that don't need to be done. So I I don't think there's anything new or dangerous or different here. It just needs to be done in the way that it always has been.
0: And why do we think that, I know that there's some debate as to how much of a role the pandemic has played in this, but why do you think we're seeing this extreme outbreak right now?
2: Well, the first thing to say is it's not extreme. We do see these clusters of cases of group A strep, uh, usually every few years. It's slightly different in the sense that it's different timing. We usually see it later in the winter, which is interesting. But the absolute numbers of cases are not massively different from what we've seen in the past. So this is an organism, it's a bug, an infection that people haven't really heard about. Now everyone in the country knows about it, but it's always been there. It's nothing new.
0: Would we see this number of deaths on any given year? But is it just the fact that they're kind of all clustered together?
2: Yes, we would see these kind of numbers of deaths. People imagine that death in healthy children from severe infections is a thing of the past, but it's not. It still happens. It's still very rare. And these are, of course, small numbers, even though they're massive tragedies for the individual families involved. But this is something that we see. And The way we've been able to gradually overcome it over the years is by developing vaccines that prevent these infections. But unfortunately, we've not done that for group A strep. So it's a standout in that regard. We've got really good meningitis vaccines now that are preventing most cases. But we do need to develop a vaccine against group A strep so that this stops happening.
0: Why is it that group A strep has been kind of on the back burner in terms of vaccination?
2: It's a good question, because it's actually a really nasty bug, and it causes a lot of trouble, not just in the UK, but around the world, particularly in poor countries. I think, ironically, one of the reasons is that, unlike the other invasive bugs, it doesn't cause meningitis. It's very rare to see group A strep meningitis. And meningitis has been very much a focus of fundraising, of research, and of development in this field. So somehow, group A strep has been left house in the cold because it doesn't cause meningitis and therefore hasn't received the attention that those other bugs do get.
0: It causes sepsis, though, is that not right?
2: That's right. And of course, the meningitis bugs cause sepsis, too. And that's been very much a focus of research, but it's very bug specific. So it does cause sepsis, which means that you get bacteria circulating around the body and affecting the organs, but it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier and cause meningitis. And
0: do you know whether there is a vaccine in the offing? Is it, are we talking a year or two years, five years?
2: there have been work on this being done for many, many years. It's actually quite a difficult bug to drill up for vaccine for. There's at least one commercial company that has a candidate, but it's not yet in human trials. And there is a number of groups around the world, in Australia, in the United States, and we in the UK are working on this. But uh, we don't have a vaccine around the corner. It could be that the rapid development in vaccine development techniques that we've had from COVID will help accelerate this. And I think the rapid rise in public awareness around this condition that's occurred in the last couple of weeks may also help people focus their attention on on moving this forward.
0: In terms of treating strep A, Professor Finn, is there quite a small window with which you need to get antibiotics into the child for them to work?
2: Well, in all invasive bacterial infections, you do have a short window. Most of these group A strep cases are not invasive. They're children who've got pharyngitis, sore throats, maybe scarlet fever, which is a a toxin mediated rash. And those children, you know, you have got time. Uh, The diagnosis gets made over the period of maybe two or three days. They get antibiotics and they then recover. But in children where the bacterium's got into places it really shouldn't be, into normally sterile sites in the body, then things can deteriorate really fast. So once a child gets seriously ill, then you do really need to move quickly if you're going to rescue them.
0: What kind of signs should parents be looking out for? So at what point is it really crucial that a child should have antibiotics? Because I guess the difficulty is that we're hearing so much about not bothering the doctor for sore throats, not going to the GP if you've got a bit of a cold. It's not necessary to have antibiotics. So how do you know the difference if things can turn very quickly?
2: Yeah, that's a really critical question because what we don't want to do is to create an avalanche of anxiety and lots of mildly ill children being brought to medical attention, getting in the way of the sick ones and delaying their treatment. So people do need advice on this. The difference between a child who's got an intercurrent viral infection that does not need antibiotics and a child who's seriously ill is all to do with the trajectory of their illness. So children with viral infections, they get fevers, they won't eat, they look miserable, and then you give them some calpol or some ibuprofen, and after a couple of hours, they're up again, they're playing, they're being much more normal, and then later in the day, they have another episode when they're not so well, and it goes up and down like this for a few days until they recover. They often have a runny nose and cough and sneezing and so on. A child with an invasive bacterial infection gets relentlessly sicker. They don't eat. They don't respond. They just look iller and iller as the time goes by. And they don't have these intervals of looking normal and behaving and interacting and playing normally. And so that's the sign that people need to be looking out for.
0: And that kind of thing happens over a series of days or weeks?
2: Well, the child may well be less unwell, unwell but less unwell, over a period of days, not usually weeks, but days, Uh, but then things change. Uh, So they might have been brought to medical attention sent away home because they're not looking so sick. But then things change and they start to get sicker and sicker. And the mistake sometimes gets made that because a parent may have brought a child to the GP or the A and E department and been sent home, they feel they've been told that the child is well and doesn't need attention. But of course the next day things might be different. They might be getting seriously ill getting more sick, and the situation has changed. So people should keep an eye on things. And if they develop in a negative way, and start to get worse and worse, then you've got to come back again and be looked at again.
0: You said earlier that what's interesting is that we're seeing this outbreak earlier than we usually would. Why do you think that is? Do you think that that's solely due to COVID and the pandemic and lockdown and all the rest of
2: it? Well, I can speculate about that. Of course, we don't completely understand this. But there are a lot of interactions that go on between virus infections and bacterial infections. These kind of bacteria generally sit up in the upper respiratory tract in the throat and the nose and mind their own business. And all they're concerned is doing is sitting there and then transmitting themselves between children and between children and adults. But when a virus infection comes along, that can change things. The child's got coughs and colds, they can transmit not just the virus, but the bacteria as well. And then you get a, an inflammatory response and that can trigger this invasive infection. So it's quite likely that the large waves of viral infections we're seeing at the moment as the winter comes in and children, of course, are in normal contact with each other now, are playing a part in promoting these severe cases. So the more bacteria, more viruses combined together is a, is a bad mix. So I think that may be part of it, and we may be seeing more viral infections now all at once simply because children, didn't get viral infections so much in the last couple of years and now there's a kind of tidal wave of infection coming back in.
0: So would the child have then a viral infection and a bacterial infection at the same time?
2: Yes quite commonly that's the case. So a lot of these children, I don't know the precise clinical details of these very severe and fatal cases that we've been hearing about but my understanding from colleagues working at UKHSA is that many of these children have got one or other of the many viruses that are around, as well as their group A strep. And certainly with other bacterial infections, we commonly see that children with these serious infections also have viral infections at the same time.
0: There have been claims that certain pharmacies and GP surgeries are running low on antibiotics that are obviously crucial to treat strep A. But Steve Barclay, the health secretary, has come out yesterday saying that there isn't a problem with supply. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, when there are disruptions in supply and demand, you know, the logistics things can be upset temporarily. But I I think what will happen here is that quite rapidly, stocks of different drugs will get moved around to the places where they're needed most. So the other thing to say here is that while we generally use very regular, straightforward penicillin to treat group A strep, because it's a bug that's very easily treated with antibiotics. There are many other antibiotics that are also highly effective against group A strep. So there's really no risk at all that a child that has a serious infection, these antibiotics, is not going to be able to get treatment. That's simply not going to happen.
0: Well, that's definitely reassuring. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Adam Finn.
2: My pleasure. Nice talking to you. So
0: it seems as though the government response isn't As shoddy as some are making out, Uh, Professor Finn seems pretty supportive of this idea of preventative antibiotics and also believes that the shortages aren't going to turn out to be too much of a problem and, and all children are going to get the treatment that they need. And I guess it's also incredibly reassuring to hear that from somebody who definitely knows what he's talking about. Professor Finn's warnings are clear. You have to look out for a downward trajectory. If a child's getting sicker and sicker, that's a red flag. You've got to take them either to the hospital or to the GP surgery. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on Medical Minefield. You can find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in old-school paper form or via the Mail app or by visiting mailplus.co.uk. And if you want to listen to this episode and lots of previous episodes of Medical Mindfield, visit medicalmindfield.com. We'll be back with another topic next week. See you then.